Hey everybody, this is your host, Nick. Uh, before we get this episode started, I just wanted to make you guys aware of something. You'll see at the top, or in the title, it says part one. This interview went for almost an hour and a half. So I do not want to put you guys through trying to listen to all of this, because this is, there's so much information that our guest gives. I mean, it's an amazing interview, but... I don't want to make you sit there and listen to the entire thing in one sitting. So, splitting up into two parts. Part one will come out today. And part two, I'm not entirely sure yet. It might be next week, which is the week of Thanksgiving. Or it could be the week after. I'm not entirely sure. Check, uh, check social media and I'll let you know when it's posted. If it's not the beginning of next week then it will be the week after so again splitting this thing up because it's a lot part one is now part two next i'm planning on next week let's just go with that if something changes i will let you guys know thanks doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter where you're from you have a tail you matter. On this show, we strive to bring you the tales of people from Small Hope College in Holland, Michigan. So join us. Sit back, relax, kick your feet up, plug in the headphones, or crank the music up on your drive, and just listen to our tales. Because it doesn't matter where you're from, it doesn't matter who you are, you have a tale, and you deserve to be heard. Ladies, gentlemen, and everybody else, welcome to the Tales of Hope podcast. I'm your host, Nick McNamara. If you don't know who I am, we are... This is episode 11. We finally broke the double-digit mark. Still have time. You can go back. Pause this episode. Go back to the beginning. I mean, if you've got half a day to spend listening to podcasts, I mean, do it. Very excited for this show. First sit-down interview in about, I don't know, a month maybe. But, before we get there, need to do the little housekeeping. You know where to find us on social media if you've been listening. Facebook, you just search Tales of Hope Podcast, we'll pop right up. Instagram and Twitter, same handle, at Tales of Hope Pod. YouTube, Tales of Hope Podcast. Um, the Anchor app, just search Tales of Hope. Or on the website, you can go to anchor.fm slash Tales of Hope. You'll find all the episodes there. Also, on both the app and the website, you will find all the places that they've put us on, such as Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and my favorite, CastBox. Also, if you want to be a part of the show, if you have questions, comments, you want to review, whatever, you can email the show at storiesofhopepod at gmail.com. Before we get into this interview, I want to do something new. I 
emailed my guest, asked him to send me a number between 1 and, I believe at the time it was 114-something. Because we are doing the Follower of the Week. So I have a spreadsheet listed with every single person across Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Might start bringing the YouTube subs in too on that. Just every week, I will pick a random number, and that person will be the Follower of the Week. Just kind of a way to give you guys some love, because this cannot be going on without you. So this Follower of the Week, her name is Donna Johnson. She just found the Facebook page last week after I ran an ad, just try to get more followers. She was the first person to follow after that. So Donna, if you're listening to this, thank you for supporting the show. Really appreciate it. Please let all your friends know about this show. Also want to do podcast of the week. So obviously since I'm running a podcast, I listen to a lot. This one that I want to kind of give a shout out to is Probably my favorite one that I listen to because it's by my favorite athlete of all time. It is the big podcast with Shaq. It is run every Monday. You can find it on Podcast One or Apple Podcasts, I believe they're on. They talk about everything, sports, news, big events going on. They also play a lot of games. It's The shows generally go for about hour or so but it's just an amazing show you're not going to think that you've sat there and listened to an hour-long podcast so that is that give them a listen support them like i mean Shaq doesn't need any more support than he's already got but still give them a listen each week i will be doing a different one that i listen to and also if you would like to send in a podcast for me to listen to kind of give a shout out to Feel free to do so. This week's guest is someone I've known since his first day of teaching at Hope, but not his first day at Hope. He is, let's see, Hope grad, former basketball player, Mm -hmm. and a former JV coach, Mm -hmm. and now the director of Gen Eds, Mm -hmm. if I'm not correct, that's general education classes. It's my honor to have the one and only, not the cur- not the recent graduate Chad Carlson, but the older Chad Carlson on the show. Well, thanks for having me, Nick. No I, I believe I'm the one and only. I think I'm the one and only now that that uh, student and basketball player Chad Carlson graduated right two years ago. Oh yeah, happy to be here. Good, thank you. Um, so, you know, take us all the way back. Talk about where you're from. You know, what it was like growing up. Start from there and we'll go on. Yeah, I feel like in some sense, maybe telling my story could be could be titled uh, Tales of Hope. I guess I, I've grown up in, in Holland. Hope College was always a part of my life. Uh, in fact, I, I lived, so when I was one-year-old and two-year-old, I lived on campus. My parents were uh, resident directors at Berkeley. Okay. Yeah, so I spent time eating at Phelps when I was one and two years old. I mm-hmm. lived on campus for two years there. Um, so I have a long history with Hope College, but it's right. it's been in Holland, Michigan, uh, where I grew up, uh, Holland High School, uh, believed that I wanted to leave the area for college and was really committed to that, mm-hmm. and uh, yet yeah, didn't follow through on it. So I can remember 
uh, my senior year of high school at one point in time on a recruiting visit um, with Coach Van Weeren, who was the basketball coach at the yep. time, eating down in the clets, we were having lunch, and and he said, at the time I was looking at this college in, in Minnesota called Gustavus Adolphus, and it's a school not altogether different from Hope, a lot mm -hmm. like Hope, and I really liked it. It was a great place, and it also allowed me then to leave the area, which I had wanted to do so badly. And um, he caught wind of that, and so Coach Van Weeren said, at the end of our lunch, I remember saying, you don't want to go to the Gustavus Adolphus. <laughs> it's, it's 10 hours away. My daughter goes to school out near there. It's such a long drive. Right. And I sort of thought, yeah, yeah, I, th I think you're right. Um, so I stayed around here uh, for, for college, loved Hope College, uh, still had the itch to leave after I graduated. And so uh, my wife and I at the time, uh, this was a couple years after we graduated, uh, went out to, uh, to Pennsylvania where I, I got my PhD at Penn State. Mm -hmm. um, lived out there for a few years after I got that where I was teaching at one of their um, Commonwealth campuses. Okay. And then uh, came back to uh, Eastern Illinois and taught there for a few years. And then mm -hmm. now I've been back here since 2014, the fall of 2014. So that's um, that's sort of the the exit points on my journey, or the the exit and entrance and entrance points um, in terms of uh, who I am and, and where I've been. Okay. So what was that like growing up on campus for those first couple of years? You know, it's funny that I, I still run into Hope grads uh, that lived in Durfee when I was one and two years old, right? And they still have these stories about you know, me when I was a toddler. Right. And it was always sort of, uh, I loved it growing up. I really did. I loved that there were these guys that were not as old as my parents, you know, but that were like, remember me as being this cool, like little toy for them, right? Mm -hmm. So you're in, in Durfee and what are you going to do? Well, let's take this one and a half year old and for instance, you know, teach him how to swear. So like I learned my first swear <laughs> words from some of these guys in Durfee, right? That were 20, right. You know, almost 20 years older than me. And um, <laughs> I just ran into one about a month ago um, whose wife works on campus. And one of the things he said is, yeah, I remember, so I was, I was the RA and so I had gotten there early and we had trained you. So the morning that the guys were gonna arrive mm -hmm. in Durfee, so you were hanging out with us at the table, the check-in table. And what happened is the guys would, would walk through the doors to Durfee and they would set down their luggage and they would say their names, we would check them off, and yep. then they'd, uh, these RAs would then send them into my parents' apartment to, uh, to sign some forms with my, with my parents or okay. whatever else. And while they were doing that, these RAs had trained me to grab the luggage and to go throw it in the garbage can. <laughs> so these, these young freshmen and you know, would come back out to the, to the table and be like, well, where'd my luggage go? And then they'd point at me and say, oh, this little kid threw it in the, in the garbage. So it's like these, these crazy stories that right. I just, I would have never remembered. And my parents didn't know either, you know, so it was like, I had my own freedom to be hanging out with these college guys at the age of one and two, right. which I don't remember, but they, they tell me all about. So there's some cool, there's some cool experiences uh, there and uh, some things that, you know, as I see other resident directors that have kids on campus, I just think of how cool right. an experience it is for them to, oh, yeah. um, or, or maybe looking back on it, thinking that's a really cool thing. Right. So, yeah, you know, I, I've, I've been on campus now. I've lived at Durfee a couple different times in my life, right? Not, not mm -hmm. many people have lived there for four years, but I, I have. Right. Oh, yeah. Two when I was really young and then two in college. So uh, it, was, it was a great experience. And oh, yeah. so that was one of the reasons why after graduating, uh, my wife and I then came back and were, were resident directors as well ourselves. Oh, okay. For two years at Lichty Hall. Mm -hmm. And just had a wonderful time um, getting to know it was at that point in time an all-female dorm and sort of we, we sort of felt like a big brother and big sister to the residents right. there and, and had some great experiences and you know fun times and some, certainly some trying times and some long yeah. nights but 
that comes with the territory. Right. And so that was a blast for us. What was that like? You know, you were saying it was an all-girls dorm. How was that for you? Yeah. Right. For me as a, um, you know, as a 23-year-old guy uh, <laughs> recently married, you know, to be to be in that dorm. You know, Lichty has traditionally been a rather calm place, mm -hmm. you know. And, and so I feel like that side of campus is. That side of campus oftentimes is. And it's a smaller dorm. So mm -hmm. I think we only had 50 residents. So uh, small, it was certainly manageable. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, for me, I think there were there were some difficulties. I, I don't think Hope would have hired me in to do that on my own, nor should they have. But since it was Kathy and me, mm -hmm. um, who were recently, you know, both Hope grads, right. um, you know, married, um, it was much easier, right? So, uh, for instance, um, I can remember one time that, uh, that a young woman uh, came into our apartment sort of middle of the afternoon, and I had been teaching some health dynamics courses and coaching, mm -hmm. and Kathy was an accountant. And so we both happened to be there. She was in another room, but the, the young woman walked in and, and said, oh, I, I don't feel, my, my stomach really hurts. And I said, oh, geez, well, well, can I walk you over to the health clinic? You know, we're, mm -hmm. we're only 100 yards away from the Dow Center. And she yeah. said, no, it's not like that. And I said, oh, um, so, and I was about to ask a follow-up question, and Kathy walked in the room and said, Chad, you don't understand. I'll take care of this. Right. And, and the young woman just, uh, had, you know, uh, was vomiting and, and mm -hmm. just having a hard time and, and Kathy was there to help in a way that I couldn't exactly right but uh, when it came to you know laying down the law and it came to making decisions you know a lot of times I think the residents felt that it was helpful for me to be around you right. know if there were um, you know, for instance guys that kind of lingering around that the, mm -hmm. the women didn't want around you know they could come to me as their as their big brother so to speak and, right. and uh, I could be helpful in that way um, even if I you know didn't understand some of the other issues that, that sometimes yeah. they were dealing with. So and we had a great experience there, though. Uh, the, the residential life staff at the time was wonderful. Mm -hmm. Got to make some some great friends. Um, spent a lot of time eating dinners at Cook with um, yep. with uh, some of the other RDs, which included at the time uh, Dr. Alina Chavis from oh, yeah. Sociology and Social yep. Work. So neither of us had our PhDs at the time, but both of us had been recent HOPE grads. Yep. And and so they were in Scott Hall, Alina and Derek, and then Kathy and I were in Lichty Hall. and. So right next to each other and got a chance mm -hmm. to really get, get to know them well and had a lot of fun. Nice. All that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, kind of got off the regular track <laughs> of the interviews, but um, going back to younger. And so, okay, you're done after you know, your two years of living in Durfee, move out, kind of walk us through growing up after that. Yeah. Uh, for me, um, I, I can't separate my younger experiences from from sports, really, because right. um, so many of them involve sport. That was just sort of where I was, what mm -hmm. I was drawn to. It's fun for me now to see my son go through some of these phases and to see some of his friends who are interested in Star Wars or interested in superheroes, or comic books, video games. Mm -hmm. Those I just wasn't interested in those things. Right. And um, I know so many so many boys are growing up. I, I wasn't for me. It was sort of laser focus on. On sports, I just loved playing them. I loved watching them. Uh, I didn't. I never felt like it was unhealthy or unusual. I didn't right. know any different. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of me. And so, a lot of my childhood involved playing sports, uh, playing sports in the neighborhood after school, going to our, our school's playground, which was a block away, playing football, basketball, baseball, soccer, you know, uh, hockey, you name it. Wow. We played it. Right? Okay. And did that all growing up, and and that was a blast. And our family vacation sort of centered around. Um, we went to Wrigley Field to watch the Cubs play baseball a couple mm -hmm. times a year, mm -hmm. you know, trips to Chicago. We, we went and saw 
other Midwest ballparks. Um, but so much of it was connected to sport or at least physical activity. Right. And, and we love that. And so winter weekends, skiing, for instance, or um, whenever we're going down south for spring break, but we're going to a place where we can swim and where we can horse around. It's just mm -hmm. all about physical activity and play. Okay. And so that was sort of, that was what I knew. And that was really who my family was too. Both my parents were student athletes here at Hope. And so they both had inclinations towards sport and physical activity. And we were all, always just pretty active as a family. Mm -hmm. And so that was, that was kind of a fun thing. I remember... Um, you know, growing up, I, I had a grandpa who was a professor here, and so he and my grandma, who were not so sport-inclined, always encouraged us to do other things. And so we, we did those. Right. That wasn't where my passion was. Mm -hmm. But, uh, for instance, uh, you know, piano lessons growing up, playing in the middle school band, playing uh, percussion, um, engaging in um, extracurricular church stuff, so youth group, uh, mission trips, okay. those types of things. Um my mom always, and this is somebody, it was my mom's dad who was an education professor here at Hope College, also was dean of students for a couple of years in the early 80s. Um, so they were, they were a little bit more high culture in terms of their leisure activities. Right. So they always encouraged us to, you know, we went to Grand Rapids Symphony, we went to plays, we went mm -hmm. to, um, you know, all that sort of uh, what's, what's considered to be more high culture, highbrow stuff, yeah. art galleries. Um, and so I feel like I have an appreciation for those too that was cultivated over time oh, yeah. as I grew up. But again, I, I, I get back to, it was, it was sport. It was about sports, you know? <laughs> oh, what, yeah. I, what I remember as a kid uh, growing up, I, I remember watching the Cubs every day. So our, our rhythm in the summer was, um, you know, we'd play around the neighborhood with kids. We'd eat lunch. After lunch, we'd all go to, to, this, to the local pool that was like, you know, you pay like 20 bucks a summer for, the, for yeah. family membership, right? It wasn't like this exclusive country club pool. It was very much a middle-class pool, um, not far from campus. It's, it's, yep. It doesn't exist anymore. We would go there, swim for a couple hours, come back and watch the Cubs play while my mom was making dinner. Like, that was our rhythm. It's not a bad rhythm. That was the summer. Right. I thought so, too. Right? You know, I loved it. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. Uh, didn't think twice about that being unusual. If it was, I'm not sure it was, but right. didn't think of it as unusual. And But gosh, you know, my memories are... Watching the Cubs play and lose, they were horrible in the late '80s. Outside of 1989, when they won the pennant, mm -hmm. um, made the playoffs, which was much smaller than what it is today. Right. But um, you know, those are my guys. Yeah, that's who I watched. And then um, fall in the fall, we would play and watch a lot of soccer, play and watch a lot of football. My brother and me and my sister and, and, and our parents. And then winter, like we didn't miss whole basketball games. That was what we did. Right. You know, so I was sort of I, I was raised on Hope College. You know, my tale is a tale of hope. Right. Yeah. Um, well, that's kind of perfect for this. That's perfect, right? That's that's the title. I know. Yeah. That's, that's the fun thing for mm -hmm. me. But uh, that's what it was for me growing up. It was. Oh yeah. It was Hope College, and so I think maybe in some sense, then once I once I got to high school and started thinking about where I wanted to go for college, uh, knowing I wanted to play sports, I wanted to play basketball for sure, and soccer mm -hmm. was kind of a fringe thing for me. Maybe, maybe not. Um, so as I started thinking about that. I knew that what what Hope had is what I wanted. Yep. But I just assumed that other colleges had that too. So uh, when I went out in mid-February of my senior year over, over Valentine's weekend to visit again the school in Minnesota, yep. um, watched one of their games, got to meet with some of the players, got to meet with the coach, spent a lot of time with them. Um, they just didn't have the following. You know, right. The fans weren't there. Mm -hmm. I, it was a good team. It was a team that made a Final Four during my four years, right? So I, I could have been on a Final Four team, yeah. and that would have been great. But... Um, not nearly the community following and not nearly sort of the, the warmth right. within the program. And um, 
So hope had something pretty special here. And it was something that I always took for granted because I grew up with it. Mm -hmm. Had I grown up somewhere else and then visited Hope as a senior in high school and seen the, the community support for the basketball program, I would have signed on in a second. Right. But instead, it was a matter of me trying to wrap my mind around how cool sort of the whole basketball culture was right. compared to other Division three programs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and just talking about, you know, like following the community. Right. You know, before I chose Hope, I looked at Western and Grand Valley. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, yeah, it's just the community, like Western walking through there, it just seemed so industrial and right. it didn't have that feel. And I don't know what it was with Grand Valley, but yeah, like my brother went to Hope. So I got that experience of coming here and like they didn't even, you know, they probably thought I was a freshman like <laughs> on campus. But right. Everyone just looked at me, hey, you know, yeah. you walk down the sidewalk now and students are, hi, you know, hey, and like. It's a friendly it, place. It is. You it's know? that, like you're saying, that community, the following, like. Yeah. It's just a really special place in that sense. Just I love the, the feel, the collegiality, the, the warmth, mm -hmm. the, the kindness. And, you know, the, the schools you mentioned, other ones, you know, Western Michigan, Grand Valley, are, they're much different today than what they were when I was coming through. And even when, when you were coming right. out of high school, too. You know, they, they've, they've changed, and I think for the better, they're great schools. Um, oh, yeah. There was something special about Hope that I wanted, and then I knew I needed. You know, I mm -hmm. wasn't as independent as I thought I was right. coming out of high school. Um, but the cool thing for me, too, and, and maybe this was something that I'm a little bit stubborn, so I pushed back against, but mm -hmm. when I was in high school, um, you know, there were so many people that I think that, that cared about me just because of the way in which my family had, had been around Holland for a long time, and so I knew a lot of people in town. Right. And, and I think a lot of people uh, were able to watch me play sports in high school, right? Mm -hmm. and, and wanted to be able to continue to watch, not because it was me or because I had any sort of special ability, but because um, there's something about sort of knowing, you, know, you, you, you like being around people that you know or being able to watch people that you know, yep. right? In, in positions of sort of, of publicity, for instance. And so uh, it's been a fun thing you know, for me to, as I've watched whole basketball throughout the years, to be able to continue to see some of the guys that stay local afterwards yeah. and be able to run into them, right? And know mm -hmm. that I, I was able to watch them. And so I think a lot of people wanted me to go to Hope because they wanted to be able to watch again, just because they knew me. Right. right? That was it. Not because they thought I'd be extra special or get more wins for Hope, but that they wanted to watch me, right? Yeah. So, so there was some of that pressure that I, I came to appreciate over time. But, you know, I was, I was, I was pretty opposed to that, really, in, in high school as I played soccer, basketball, and tennis. Mm -hmm. um, for teams there, and we had some good teams at Holland High. It was at the point in time, you know, Holland was still a big school at the time, yep. Class A, Division One school, and so we felt really good about. I felt really good about, um, you know, the the way in which my teams competed when I was a student, a student there. Mm -hmm. um, the success that we had is, is something that I'll always look back on fondly, and and wanted wanted more of that as well. And so the schools that I looked at coming out of college, when hope was an option were also schools that I felt like were excellent, that where I could, could be there and be a part of programs, basketball programs that were excellent, mm -hmm. um, but also academic programs that were strong. Yeah. And so I, I was a good student. I, I certainly was not the best, not, mm -hmm. not even close. And, and I, I was not the most motivated student either, right. but I, I believed that I had the ability to, uh, to make a healthy career for myself, despite right. my you know, lack of interest in, in intellectual pursuits. Right. right? So, um, you know, that was a part of it for me as well. I was a good kid. I, I got good grades. I, I did the work, but never put in more time than I needed to academically. Yep. My passions were with sports. Mm -hmm. I wanted to put in more time there. Right. And, and also with my faith. I wanted to put in a lot of time there, too. So mm -hmm. those are the two main threads for me. Okay. 
Yeah, well, you know, before we move on, like, on to college and everything, talk about your faith and, like, kind of how that's played a part in every aspect of your life. So I have a, a pretty standard story, I think, and I've always been a little bit ashamed of that. And, <laughs> you know, that my story doesn't include, like, this cool epiphany moment, mm -hmm. um, you know, where, like, the chips were down and my family was, was in jeopardy of this or that, and we really had to rely on God. It wasn't that way at all. For me, and I was a little bit ashamed that I don't have this cool story mm -hmm. that so many other people do, uh, you know, knowing yours too, Nick. Yeah. Um, so it, but I think God, God uses even those of us that have sort of standard, bland stories, right? And there are still moments in my life that were epiphany-like yeah. and that were really helpful for me. So I grew up in a church in Holland, uh, th a third reformed church, a wonderful, wonderful church, yep. and um, you know, it was it did a great job of sort of forming us kids and there were other families there and I have friends still today that, that I went to church with growing up. Um, I can remember a few a few different moments that were important to me and one of them was when I made profession of faith in seventh grade and I remember um, it was a great day. We had gone through sort of this class and, mm -hmm. um, and President Voskel and his wife were, were members of the church at the time and he had been the pastor of the church a few years before okay. so I had gotten to know them a little bit and in fact they when I presented this to my current church, uh, sort of my story, a couple of years ago, they were there in, in attendance, and and they actually corrected me on the the, the date of my <laughs> of when I when I made profession of faith, just because they were so in, into that with the church. Right. So anyway, so um, that was a big moment. But what wasn't big for me was the fact that I made profession of faith. But it was the fact that after we we did all of that, we uh, we went over to my grandparents' house for. Um, for a meal, Sunday night meal or something like that. And we didn't do that a lot, but it happened to be on the same day that I made Profession of Faith. Mm -hmm. And I remember showing up there and, um, and my grandparents asked how the day was. And I said, oh, it was great. I made Profession of Faith today. And they said, you what? <laughs> I said, yeah, I made Profession of Faith. And they, they, they turned to my parents and they said, you've got to be kidding me. You didn't invite us for our grandson to make Profession of Faith? Like, how could you? <laughs> Whereas I had gone through it, and it was just like another Sunday for me. Yeah. You know, I, I, this is what people did in in, uh, right. in seventh grade. You know, you made profession of faith. That's mm -hmm. what all the kids did. And so it wasn't a big deal to me, but to see that my grandparents were so disappointed that they hadn't been invited. Uh, and it wasn't that my parents didn't want them there. It's just they didn't, again, they also didn't think it was right. a huge deal, mm -hmm. you know. But my grandparents did. Oh, yeah. And so that was kind of a big thing for me that, oh, what I did was just kind of, kind of a big deal, right? <laughs> so I, I was a, a pretty naive kid. So that was one moment. There was another moment where I finally sort of realized, um, you know, what it meant to be a Christian. That was maybe a few mm -hmm. years later. I was I was in between my sophomore and junior year in, in high school, and I went on a Young Life wilderness trip. So I was basically backpacking in the Colorado wilderness for a week with other people from from Holland, and we had a guide uh, with us who was not from Holland. And so um, a really cool time, you know, where we didn't there's no cell phones. They didn't exist, right? Cell phones didn't exist at right. the time. But uh, we didn't have anything to distract us. We were just there, all of us together, not showering. You're eating together. You're carrying your food. You're taking your waste with you. A really intense experience. Yeah. And I just remember at one point in time, one afternoon, as we're hiking, um, you know, truly understanding from from the leader there, Joel Tannis. Joel Scuntanis was oh, a yeah. local artist, mm -hmm. was one of my young life leaders. And, and he really de described grace to me, God's grace to me, in a way that I had never understood it before. And it was just this moment where I, I just took this, so like this huge weight was lifted off my shoulders. So I understood forgiveness. I understood grace. Yeah. But um, I, I was raised in a way that I really I wanted to be 
perfect if I could. Like I, I didn't like when I made mistakes. I didn't like when I right. screwed up. And so for him to finally say, you're not expected to be. Mm -hmm. God, God did this for us, right? And, and it just sort of feel like, right. wow, okay, this is what it is. I don't have to be perfect. I can make mistakes. Um, not that it, you know, that, that it was a, a, an allowance of, mm -hmm. of us to go and do whatever we want and right. screw up. It wasn't it at all, but it's just like, okay, like I don't have this pressure on myself anymore. Yeah. God did it. You know, God, God uh, paved the way. So that was a big moment for me in my faith as well. And um, so the standard, the, the part of my story that I think is worthwhile being a standard story is, yeah, I don't have these cool, like really cool moments where people are like their jaws are dropping, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you, you withstood that or got through it with right. God's grace. But the idea that, you know what, I'm a, I'm a product of the church. Mm -hmm. I'm a product of being raised in the church through Sunday school. I'm yep. a product of profession of faith. I'm a, I, you know, that the, stating publicly to my church that I believe in God. I'm a product of youth group. I'm a product of young life. All of these uh, organizations right. that God has, has placed in our lives. You know, I'm a product of all that. And I think it goes to show that, that people have stories that include not the church screwing up, you know, not, mm -hmm. not, not youth groups um, failing people, but these things succeeding. Right. You know, that's kind of, that's the basis of my story. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so well you know like you kind of touched you touched on younger years and your teenage years mm. so all right well you know go on to the basketball court go on to the soccer pitch the tennis court you know how are you able to use it your faith in sports like how are you able to express it that right. way i i was um i was not a, a competitive kid growing up as a child right it really wasn't until i think middle school when i started to realize i want this you know right and, and then I'm, I'm i'm capable of grabbing it and so um while i was always a skilled athlete growing up and just because i'd been around it and i think genetically i i feel like i i was given quite a bit you know mm -hmm. both my parents being college athletes um so I always got it. I was always, you know, best athlete in the neighborhood, or at least I th thought I was. Right. I, I think I was. Um, you know, my younger brother, had he been my age, you know, would have been better than me growing up. Um, mm -hmm. But I was, you know, I was, I was a good athlete, but not super competitive. And part of it was just because I think I had a big heart. And so right. we'd play games and, and I could win, but I would never want to, you know, I, I never want to like win everything or, or make anybody else feel bad doing that. Right. Until I got to the point where, you know, middle school where you're trying out for a team where it's zero sum, right? Mm -hmm. um, you're not just going home for dinner, right? You, it's, it's you make the team or you don't. Right. And so at that point in time, I really started, I think, taking it seriously. And, and it was, for me, once I got to middle school sports, it was those three. It was soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter, and tennis in the spring. Even though I had played other sports growing up as well, those are the three I sort of focused on. Right. Um, so for me, tennis was something that was just kind of a fun afterthought. It was at the end of the year, after always after these intense basketball seasons. Just keep you in shape. Keeps you in shape. You know, it was an individual sport, and so it sort of offset some of the team stuff, to the team dynamics. Yeah. But I loved playing doubles. You know, mm -hmm. it was fun for me to, I felt like I had good hand-eye coordination, so to be up at the net, which is where the doubles game is played yep. for the most part. Uh, I loved doing that, even though tennis was never my first love, um, never my second love either. You know, basketball was, was always sort of, the one that was most a part of my life. Mm -hmm. And I loved that and I played every opportunity I could. And I remember in middle school going to play with, um, 
you know, I had a, 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 fr a bunch of friends from middle school on the team um, who weren't like me, that they went to the Dow Center because they had memberships. You know, they weren't Hope College families, for instance, traditionally, right? right? These were students that came from uh, lower socioeconomic ba backgrounds in Holland, mm -hmm. and um, they did basketball and boxing. And okay. so throughout middle school, I spent a lot of time actually playing basketball with the Tulip City Boxing Club. And it was these adults that were boxers that were super intense and competitive. And it yep. was these high school and middle school boys, basically, that were uh, that had a little bit more to fight for. Yeah. And so those are pretty formative times for me, you know, to go to those open gyms, really, and to not know whether a fight was going to break out or not, mm -hmm. you know, to not know, like, who's going to come in smelling like smoke, who's going to come in and potentially be kicked out because they got alcohol in their breath. Like, that wasn't stuff that was part of my worldview growing up. Right. I'd go play the Dow every Sunday afternoon growing up to church with my brother and my dad and some of our friends, but you never worried about security. You never worried about winning or losing or losing your court or whatever else, but you go and play with the Tulip City Boxing Club. And I mean, it was intense, Oh yeah. you know, and, and it was something that I feared, but I loved it. Right. I feared it and loved it at the same time. I loved going and playing and felt like I had some success because I fought and I, I, I left every night, um, feeling so good about like how I had grown playing against men, right? you know, and, and playing against men who like their pride was at stake. Yeah. And so no 13 year old is going to, is going to, you know, take that away from them. Mm -hmm. that, that's what I had at stake there. Right. So there's finally right. something on the line for me where there never had been in sports before, because I grew up in a family that loved sports and was good at it, but, but never, you know, pushed me too hard, you know, always right. inculcated this joy. So that was important for me with basketball, and that was really maybe the seeds of what I did basketball-wise. Soccer then was a unique one. My dad played football here. Okay. And my grandpa was a football player, um, my paternal grandpa. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was always assumed, I think, that my brother and I would play football and play quarterback. That's what our dad did. That's what our grandpa did. Okay. But I grew up next door to uh, a Hope professor, uh, Herb Dersham, who still works here. Okay. He, he runs the Frost Center uh, Institutional Research. And his son who was about 10, 12 years older than me, um, was a soccer player. Okay. And just a super, super guy. So when he was in high school and we were little toddlers in, mm -hmm. in elementary school, early elementary, and when he was in college, we were elementary, middle school, he would always make time to play soccer with us. And uh, the reason why we got excited about soccer is we were watching him. We watched Eric Dersham play soccer and he played with us in the yard. So to know that I had okay. a friend, yeah. a guy that took the time out of his day as a high schooler. I mean, right. Think about how self-absorbed self we are in high school. To take time out of his day to come play with my brother and me, to play soccer in our yard. That's and then awful. we get to go watch him play right. in his high school soccer games. And then we get to watch him come play at Hope yeah. as a goalkeeper, you know, uh, um, as a starter for, I think, all four years. Uh, what, a, what a great athlete, what a great role model for us. Right. So we really got into soccer because of Dersh. Mm -hmm. and. Um, and that was a lot of fun for us, you know, to, to go through Holland High and really potentially to have more success in soccer than, than Jeff and I did in basketball it was really a fun thing. You know, the regional mm -hmm. titles that we won, the district titles, the conference titles. And uh, it, was just, it was just kind of a cool thing to know that as much as our, our parents had influence on, on us, had it not been for him, we may have never played soccer. Right. And the joy that we've had from that game. I still play indoor soccer today. Okay. And so I look back at this... Hope College student, the son of a Hope College professor who had such an impact on, on me and my brother mm -hmm. growing up um, is something that's hard to put into words for us. Right. And we see him from time to time now, and his son now is a high school soccer player and, and will hopefully come to Hope. And he's still around the Hope soccer program. But it's, it's just, uh, you know, I have a hard time 
um, not getting sentimental every time I see him. Right. Just to say, man, you had such an input, impact on my life. Exactly. And yeah, uh, yeah such a cool thing. So we got these, uh, you know, these unique stories with these three sports. Uh, mm -hmm. I feel like the way that I got into them and the way that I played them. Right. Um, soccer was a big deal at Holland High School. Oh yeah. You know, we were we were good. The football program struggled, and so I wanted to be a part of a winning program and felt like I could. You know, I wasn't a strong kid, but I was a tall kid, and I felt like I ran pretty well and, and had good hand-eye, foot-eye coordination. And so, growing up, I just sort of gravitated towards soccer. Um, and for that reason as well, once once Eric Dersham's influence sort of left, once he had to move away and take right. a job, uh, he left us. You know, it was like, <laughs> right? You know, we just assumed he'd be with us forever, uh, and and he is. But you know, yeah. um, so I got these these sort of unique ways that I got into these sports, and um, and I think. That's something that I try to take with me today too, trying to understand how it is that I can help my kids, for instance, my kids' friends, but students at, at Hope here too understand, put into context their own sports stories. Right. Um, you know, whether they're whether they're participating or whether they're watching. You know, for me we didn't have we rooted for the Cubs growing up. Yep. But I wasn't a huge baseball guy. Mm -hmm. I was a Cubs guy, but not a baseball guy. And uh, we rooted for Hope basketball. Those are the two things. I didn't really have a football team right. that I cheered for. I loved Walter Payton, but didn't know what I was doing. I loved Michael Jordan, but would never really call myself a Bulls fan. Mm -hmm. You know, so, um, but that's part of it too, right? How we watch and how we, right. who our models exactly. are. Exactly. You know, my, my role models were Hope basketball players growing up mm -hmm. and, and Eric Dersham. Yeah. And then, you know, from a distance. So those are sort of the internal ones, the ones that I had sort of access to. But then there's there's Michael Jordan, and at the time he was every little kid's hero. Exactly. You know, it was Michael Jordan. Everybody, I was part of the Air Jordan Flight Club, right? I pay fifty dollars of my Christmas money every year to, to be part of this club <laughs> where I got like a little bit of swag and right. and like a, a letter three times a year, you know, indicating thank you for paying the money to be part of this this club. But yeah, those are the models for me. So yeah, that's kind of the, that's kind of the basketball court for me, and I think that plays into the earlier part that I mentioned in my story that this community that supports. Yep. Whole basketball, but that that supports sport in general, scholastic and collegiate sport in mm -hmm. general locally here. You know, I sort of, in some sense, wanted to be Eric Dersham to to the next the next set of kids. Right. And so I wanted to do everything I could to when I was putting on the Holland High Dutch uniform or the Hope College Flying Dutch uniform. I wanted to do everything I could to be a good role model for the next generation of kids, and I loved that so many young kids went to these games. Right. And I love. You know, being able to talk to them after games, and I love you know their parents saying, "Oh, thanks so much for saying hi to to my son or daughter." That they love it, and it's such a small thing, it's such an easy thing to do. Right? right. But when an older person does that to a younger person, especially you know when you're still all going through childhood at different levels, um, what an impact that can make. I mean, you're basically a superhero. To you're me. a superhero, right? Exactly. And um, you know, I grew up with a younger brother and younger sister who I know looked up to me, but never told me that. Right. So. Right. <laughs> Um, in fact, said the opposite. And so, <laughs> right, for me to, to like hear, yeah, you're somebody's superhero, right, was, is, is kind of a cool thing. And, oh, yeah. Uh, so that was, I just loved, I love that part of this community. And, mm -hmm. and that's sort of what has drawn me back to come back after living in other states. Right. Yeah. Um, but I'm probably getting ahead of the ballgame. No, yeah. I mean, <laughs> this whole thing, like, I kind of just want to toss it aside because, <laughs> I mean, this is great. I mean, Wow. This is, I mean, yeah, I've known you since 2014 when you started. Yeah. And already it's like we're sitting down for the first time talking. Right. right. Wow. But, <laughs> okay, so 
obviously it sounds like you didn't do a whole lot outside of sports. That was my life. <laughs> yeah. So outside of sports at hope, kind of, you know, living in Durf, you know, all the outside stuff. Talk about that. Yeah. So while sports dominated, I, I certainly, there were people around me that, that protected mm -hmm. sort of my, um, my overall person. Right. And, and yet sports is what I, that's what I remember. That's what I, I gravitated towards. But um, I, I was in a vocal jazz uh, group in high school where we traveled around the area sort of singing and dancing and uh, did some of that, did a lot with youth group and young life, mm -hmm. um, did a lot with sort of student leadership at Holland High School. So when I came to Hope, then I wanted to transfer some of that. Right. I guess for as much as I loved sports, I didn't want to be, and I, and I sort of, I, I pushed tennis and soccer to the side. I'm just going to focus on basketball yep. here. I didn't want to be known as you know just a basketball player. I wanted to have other things that were important to me in my right. life. And so I participated in everything I could socially, probably too much my freshman year. Mm -hmm. um, you know, some of it is a little bit more, uh, a little bit worse than others. But, uh, um, you know, I lived, I lived a life that I thought college students should be living, but that was keeping me super busy all the time. Right. And so I was a part of, geez, you know, Bible studies every night. I was a young life leader at Holland High School, yep. so that was one or two nights a week. Um, spending time with, with friends, doing the goofy, uh, the dumb shenanigan stuff that, that, that college boys really do, yeah. right? Um, oh, yeah. and, then, and then some stuff that was, you know, maybe a little bit of partying too. So I, I was busy yeah. here um, when I was a student at Hope. And really, I saw myself as coming to Hope to play basketball but also to develop my faith. Right. Those were the two things. And, and what that leaves out then is the academic component. So I came to Hope not knowing what I wanted to do academically. And really, had it not been for basketball, I probably wouldn't have gone to college right away. Right. I just wasn't motivated in school. I'd been a good student, 3-5 student in high school, right? Uh, mm -hmm. good, good by many stretches of the imagination, um, but, but never pushed myself. Right. Never dug in, never did more than I have to. And really, in most ways, never even did what I have to, mm -hmm. what I had to. So I came to Hope as a good student um, who was just poorly motivated. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, when I would be in classes where we had to do reading, I rarely did the reading. I would skim. I would do what I had to get by. I wouldn't, I wouldn't contribute to class discussions. I wrote the papers, but just, you know, sort of based on the fact that I could write in a decent way, mm -hmm. but not that I had any unique or uniquely insightful thoughts. Um, I just went through the motions. Kind of interesting. Summed up my five years of college. <laughs> <laughs> and I had it was five years for you. I had four and a half, right? So right. part of it was like I couldn't get done in four years because mm -hmm. um, just because I I don't know I wasn't motivated. I wasn't driven right. academically. And I feel bad saying that because you were my senior seminar prop, <laughs> and I'm like, hmm, should I tell him that I really didn't do all the readings? You know, but, I I get that. I understand yeah. that. And the funny thing for me is to try to reconcile that, who I was, and knowing that I, I loved college and had a great experience, and I think people who knew me thought I was living a really good life. Right. I was. But now for me to be able to try to convince students that what I was doing was really an assault on the academic program here. Right. I, I try to get that across, and I'm not sure it comes across the way that I'd like it to, to, to say, don't be like me. Mm -hmm. Because for Nick McNamara, for me to say, don't be like me, I only mean that academics part, right? Right. I want you to be like me in the other ways because I felt like I, like you, made a lot of friends. Exactly. You know, got involved in a ton of things. Um, I didn't have more, I didn't have enough hours in the day to study. 
Right. If I did have more hours in the day, I'm not sure I would have spent them studying. <laughs> but I wish I had put more time in because I had some great professors, some really right. caring professors. And um, some of them who are still here today, who I still continue to be in touch with. And, you know, so many of them remember me fondly, which is, which blows my mind because I know the students that sat in the back corner of my classes mm -hmm. and never participated. I knew that they didn't do the work. Right. I'm not going to call them out on it because, you know, in some sense, that's not my job. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make it engaging for them. Right. But I know those students. I didn't like those. I don't like those students as much as a professor. Mm -hmm. um, that's who I was. Right. And so to have some of my old professors say to me, oh, yes, I remember having you in class. Yeah, I loved it. And either they're lying or they're really, really caring. Right. I'm guessing it's the latter. They're just very caring. Mm -hmm. and, and I try to be that, too. I, I certainly I, I care about every student in my class. Right. But I know who's putting in the time, and I'm sort of drawn to now that student that is going the extra mile. It's really wrestling with the big ideas, the things that that they're supposed to be reading. Yeah, and I'm getting better at finding ways to encourage students to do the reading, or yeah. if not encourage, at least mandate that they right. do those right with more writing assignments and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So all of this is like my academic journey is one that's just kind of kind of amazing, you know, to me um, as I think about who I was at Hope College. If you had asked me. You know, anytime when I was at Hope College, whether I would ever be a professor, I'd say, yeah, right. I would laugh at you. Right. Uh, would you ever write a book? Yeah, right. I'd laugh at you. You know, um, would you ever study philosophy? You've got to be kidding me.